Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Movable dough. Right. Do, 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 do. I thought she still doesn't think it's funny. The tuba players, the tuba players in, don't get that either. Because, you know, no, these are my C fingers. These are my, no, no, you're just transposing. Yeah, right. So, you know what? The first time I realized that they transpose differently, mm-hmm. it, I couldn't get my mind around it. Yeah. I might as well be using clefs mm-hmm. to transpose rather than by interval. But no, it's, To them, it's just another set of fingers. But they don't have as many to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, we were doing we were doing yeah. Salome. I've never done Salome before. I never thought our orchestra in Dayton would be doing Salome. Uh-huh. And that had five transpositions, including F like e, F alto. So oh, stuff yeah. was off the horn. Playing my B flat and having to fake low E's <laughs> and and pulling slides and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So just a formal introduction here uh, here at Cincinnati <laughs> Conservatory. No, Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Close enough. Close enough. I, there's one too many C's in there, I no, think. It's actually the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. And make sure you put that hyphen in there between college and uh, okay. college okay. conservatory. Okay. That comes back from two schools joining together in the 1950s, the mm-hmm. College of Music and the Conservatory of Music. Oh, ah, okay. And then in the 60s, they became part of the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, hence the big long name. Gotcha. Whatever the acronym is, CCM uh, for that. Yeah, well, yeah, but I was yeah. thinking it could have, it could be equally as long. So yeah, uh, here with Professor Alan Siebert. Uh, how long have you been here? I'll be starting my thirtieth year. No kidding. Yeah. Could you ever imagine that you were going to be doing this as long or in this position as long as you are? I guess I was hoping this was a, this was a school. <laughs> after all the different things I'd done before this, this was the school. That I was leading, I was trying to lead up to to be able to be competitive and be able to get looked at at a school of this level. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've looked at some other things afterwards, but this has been great, and mm-hmm. it's been a great place to raise our family. Yeah, Cincinnati's a pretty cool town. I, you know, I live in Indianapolis. I don't get over over here enough, but there's a lot of things to offer over here. Well, when my my wife and I both moved here, we're both from New York, Long Island. And uh, when we got here, we thought, well, this will be a good place to raise our kids. We weren't looking forward to being that, doing that in Southern California. Um, this would be a great place to raise your kids. And then when we retire, we'll we'll move off. And I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to stick around because this <laughs> is this is a great city. It's got mm-hmm. all the arts in place from a big city because in the early 1800s, this was a big, much bigger city than Chicago. No kidding. So the arts were established. Those kinds of roots were already in this town. So, mm-hmm. so basically, I I can drive 20 minutes and get to a baseball game. And uh, and everything else downtown too. Yeah. So if you drive 20 minutes in Chicago, you've driven 10 feet. I understand. I was in <laughs> Chicago in February. Judging. Oh my gosh, it's a nightmare up there. Oh god. I don't know how they do it. We had a Friday rush hour. That was not a, something I'd recommend. Mm. I was just up there last week. Uh, <coughs> interviewed Roger Ingram, and uh, I man, I just don't get it. I know people. It's you adapt to where you live. Sure. So. But I imagine in 30 years you've figured out how to get around Cincinnati pretty well, too. Pretty well, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I saw you last year at uh, San Antonio ITG, and uh, Kathy Leach presented you with, uh, I thought, what was a very uh, special award for that. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Well, Kathy and I actually go back a long ways. We met in grad school in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, in 1977, so we've been friends, and uh, I was sort of instrumental in convincing her that she should consider running for uh, president of ITG. Mm -hmm. And so we, we go back a long way, and what, what I was awarded was the Award of Merit, which basically meant I did a lot of work for ITG, and some mm -hmm. people like me, so. Yeah, so. It's, but I think that's uh, it's great work. It's worthwhile. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We'll be back this year, and my wife, I won't have anything to do, so I'll be going to lots of sessions, <laughs> but my wife will help pretty much be running registration, uh, okay. just as a volunteer. Uh, I've got a friend that, uh, his, he's bringing his wife uh, to do the same deal, uh, George Morell. I don't know if you know George. Yeah. Um, yep. But right. uh, his wife, Ruth Ann, is coming down to do the same thing. That's great. Uh, I talked to Kathy a week or two ago, and uh, of course she's busy. I think this is her last year, right, as, as president. Till October 1st, yeah. And... Uh, you know, I, I always hesitate calling, knowing just how busy uh, conference planners and uh, although I know JC. JC. I was being funny. He can yeah. never say his last name, though, but it, it, just how busy, how much time it takes to right. put something together. Did you ever host an ITG? Well, the first one that we did in this format, rather than going through the um, the doing it on a college campus, was mm -hmm. was when I was president. We oh, I'm was, sorry, I didn't realize. Yeah, that, that was in 2015, and that was up in Columbus, and it's going to be back in Columbus next year. Oh, maybe that's why I didn't realize that because it wasn't in Cincinnati. Right. Right. So. Right. Yeah. No, I've been I have been asked to do it here, and we have great facilities, but our halls heat 750, which is a little small for a con mm -hmm. one of those, those conferences well, get well over a thousand people mm -hmm. usually, so, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's, I knew how much kind of work it would be, so. I mm -hmm. um, had a former professor who was involved in the uh, Indiana Music Educators Conference, and he told me it's usually like a two-year process to put yeah. something like that together. Right. Not Agreed. that you have to start from scratch every time, but, uh, you know, you can kind of fill in the template, I would imagine, from... Well, that was the idea of doing it now through the kind of using the uh, the model of doing it at a at a hotel is uh, we can do the same thing. We actually now have a, a four or five year rotation, rough rotation where we'll be going back to some of the same places. Texas was very good, mm -hmm. Los Angeles was very good. So we're going to kind of do West Coast, Texas, Cincinnati, um, Columbus. And I'm not sure what the other one's going to be. We'll see if everybody survives the middle of July in Miami. Well, that was that was a, that was a bit of a gamble because there have been a lot of people that have asked to, uh, why don't you do it in the summer when we can go? These were college teachers, high school mm -hmm. band directors, mm -hmm. and so we said, well, okay, we'll try one, and that's what we're doing, and we'll see. Well, I'm going to be there. Yep, it's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. And we'll I be mean, staying indoors a lot. Every <laughs> thank goodness for air conditioning. Yes. Right? So. Um, it, Doc Severinsen was at my conference at the University uh, University of Indianapolis last mm -hmm. year and did a session and uh, Kathy moderated that session and first question and it's what I'm going to ask you is, uh, and I loved his answer to this question but was how do you view the state of trumpet or the trumpet state of affairs these days? Oh, well I don't know if it's any easier getting a job, but I don't know. It's just it's really it's getting more and more diverse. I mean, there's more and more things you can can be doing. I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the idea of either being a college teacher, or or being a a player in an orchestra, those are still there. There's more smaller orchestras. Some of the bigger ones are struggling a little bit, but there's more smaller orchestras, and uh, and then yet there's also the freelancing as well, and. Mm -hmm. You know the elite uh, sound recording guys, the guys on the West Coast, and to some degree New York. Mm -hmm. um, but like I try and tell my students, I said you need to be ready to do other things, to make a living, to get started. And uh, and I think that held that probably holds true more now than uh, than uh, you know than ever. Um, Vacchiano once said some of his best students. Some of his most interesting students, I think he might have used those words, um, 
didn't go into college teaching or orchestras. They were doing other things. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's been a, true for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, my first job out of college was uh, teaching middle school band for a couple of years. And, it, and I particularly, maybe I was led in this direction, but that was great for me because it was in the New York, not far from the New York City area, up in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And I was a high school band director, a middle school band director until um, about 2.30 in the afternoon. And then I was a professional trumpet player the rest of the day. So I subbed, actually got a position in an orchestra, mm -hmm. um, small regional orchestra, mm -hmm. and I uh, was subbing in three or four other orchestras, started a brass quintet, um, took lessons with John Ware in the New York Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. I would drive to Jersey every other week and grab a lesson, go over the, go over the uh, George Washington Bridge, about 10 minutes, that's where he lived. And so that's kind of how I got, I got more seasoned, because I knew going, grad school was good for me, it was, uh, it was too short, but I mean, I, I survived and mm -hmm. I did okay, mm -hmm. but I had enough self-awareness to say, you're not ready to be playing in an orchestra, you may mm -hmm. never be ready to be playing in an orchestra, um, so you gotta keep working, and I did. Um, two years, you said, as a middle school band director? Yep. And the, which means you probably had a music ed degree. I did. I had a music ed degree for an undergrad, and then uh, a master's in music at uh, mm -hmm. in music performance at Michigan. And undergrad as well. No, that was my master's. My no, master's. but where was your undergrad? Oh, Fredonia, SUNY Fredonia, upstate oh, okay. New York. Okay. Um, and how long then before? Do you have a doctorate? I'm almost there. Almost Four there. credits. Seriously. Away. Yeah, back in when I when I. When I, when I won the San Diego Symphony job, that went out the window a little bit. I mm -hmm. just didn't finish that. So, mm -hmm. but I've been that, that first year. I flew back and forth between San Diego and Phoenix mm -hmm. to work on the doctor. Got a recital out of the way. Got some more credits out of the way. Uh, mm -hmm. Did a couple classes. So I'm um, literally one history class and a recital. Oh, that'd be tough having to do a recital. Uh, <laughs> it is so so uh, strange to hear. For somebody who's taught at such a high level and played yeah. at such a high level yeah. for so long to say, yeah. I'm this close to, yeah. <laughs> to getting... Well, I'm not going to finish, clearly. <laughs> um, that was a bit of a gamble when I came here. Um, the dean who hired me, Bob Werner, so, you know, he said, oh, you know, after our one-year review, he did a review with all first-year people. I said, oh, how you doing? And he said, How'd it go? We are talking about it. He mm -hmm. says, you know, so you're going to finish that doctorate? I said, Dean Werner, do I need a doctorate for tenure? Is that, is that an absolute? And I kind of knew the answer because almost none of my colleagues that were doing what I do mm. had doctorates. And he sort of, his answer was, well, I try and encourage all my young, talented faculty to finish their, get their terminal degree. Mm -hmm. And then got talking about things and he never answered that question. <laughs> so my choice that year, that summer, was I can go back to ASU, work with a tutor, because the biggest thing, my hurdle there would be uh, I've been out of grad school long enough that I'd be, I'd have to, I'd have still my, my exams, I had to pass comprehensive exams in theory and history along with trumpet. It was all one big thing. That's mm -hmm. how they did it there. Mm -hmm. And then my, my orals was going to be on everything, not just trumpet. <laughs> we do more trumpet just here. You know, so, sure. And uh, and I thought to myself, okay, I can spend the summer in, in, in Tempe, abandon my wife with a six-year-old and a one-year-old, and uh, and then not do this festival I was going to do, and then not go join and play and record with Summit Brass. That was my summer. That was my summer plans. And I also abandoned my wife, and she would have done it. She wouldn't have liked it, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just thought this is stupid. Yeah. And I kind of put it to the dean that way, and mm -hmm. he he backed off a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, basically, I I guess I got commensurate experience. You know, the recordings with C with and Summit how. Brass and everything, yeah. and. Uh, that, 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 that was never an issue when, mm -hmm. for promotion and tenure here, mm -hmm. so I'm Boy, fortunate it, to have that. times changed, though. I mean, it seems like it's almost uh, you either jump through that hoop now or forget it. Mm -hmm. Well, there are schools There are schools that have, when they, when they have advertisements for positions, say, if you do not have a doctorate, don't apply. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very short-sighted, but that's, that's because... Uh, that's because there are administrators that look at that as you must have a doctor because their their discipline had a doctor. Mm -hmm. What's really fortunate about the way the school is, we're at a big university, so you have all that benefits of that. But we are our own college within the university, mm -hmm. so we make our own guidelines, and so mm -hmm. the upper administrators here are all 
in the arts and they understand that mm -hmm. no, you don't need to have a doctor to, mm -hmm. to teach trumpet. Isn't it interesting? You know, I think in anthropology, of course, you're going to have to have that field experience, mm -hmm. which would probably end up with your PhD. But here we are as musicians who we spend so much time in field experience, mm -hmm. real life, real right. world experience, and right. we don't come out of it with a doctorate. Uh, but the experience is is valuable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's the same. I think. Absolutely. Uh, and obviously, people are recognized for that. I mean, I think the the guys at IU are in the same situation. You know, I mean, that's uh, you, of course, are an example of that too. But um, okay, so no desire to go back and finish up. That's probably not. That's no. fine. My, that's David Hickman just retired this year, so yeah. he'd be my guy. I'm yeah. gonna go back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking what that would feel like to have to do uh, your your exams. Uh, with with him, I mean, you'd probably end up not talking about trumpet. Uh, oh, I bet that's all we talk about. Oh, you think? Okay, okay. Yeah, I think we'd have fun. Yeah, but there'd be other people on the committee yeah. that probably would give us so a hard time. Who was there when you were out at uh, Arizona State? Uh, well, that was that was Hickman's first year there. I auditioned for him at Illinois the the, the previous year, mm -hmm. and was accepted. And when I asked him, I said, "Are you going to be here next year?" I'm hearing some rumors. He, but he was very honest. He said, "I can't say." And so I was planning on going back to Michigan to study with Gitala, which would have been a great experience because mm -hmm. I had studied with Clifford Lilia there. So I would have been going back to familiar surroundings. My wife and I both loved Ann Arbor um, and just loved the school. And she wanted, she, we were looking for a place for her to do her master's in music education as well. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to find a school that would work well for both of us. And Ann Arbor would have worked well. Um, but then Hickman, David Hickman calls me in the middle of the night. I'm in Superior, Wisconsin. I get a phone call and says, I'm going to ASU, you want to come? Wow. And I said, uh, and he's like, well, yeah, I need to know like in a, in a day. And I'm like, uh, okay, and we thought about it. And my wife actually that night, we talked about it, and she looked, she made some phone calls and realized there were people at ASU in early music education, mm -hmm. Jackie Boswell and another lady whose name escapes me, that people, uh, Andrus, last name Andrus, um, that she wanted to study with. Mm -hmm. She thought it would be great. She thought that she was actually really excited about that, even more than Michigan. Mm -hmm. And she actually, you know, remember when you could call 411 for information? Yes. She called <laughs> 411 and got an operator in Phoenix and was on the phone with her late at night for about an hour. No kidding. The person just had nothing to do. Yeah. Enough people there that I guess whatever calls came in for information <laughs> routed to the, the girl next to her or something. And she just asked about, you know, what's it like living in Phoenix? You no know? kidding. Yeah, she talked for a long time, and then that kind of we kind of decided, yeah, we'll go, mm -hmm. and that's what we did. Mm -hmm. So she's got. Um, is she a teacher as well? Your wife? She was run. She when, when our when we moved to California, um, we had an infant, um, and so she was. She had been teaching music ed uh, in in Tempe, Arizona, while I was in school, um, and she was in school too, doing her master's degree, and then when we got to California, we realized public school and the music ed, and the, she's not going to get a job mm -hmm. and we have a kid to raise. So she started this thing that was pretty new in the scene called Kinder Music. Mm -hmm. She started that and that's a, that's a licensed thing. Um, and she enjoyed that. She could teach in a house, in her house. We took one bedroom and turned it kind of into a little studio. Mm -hmm. And she would get people, give people a discount if they were coming in and they could watch little Christopher, huh. who's now 35 years old. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, and watched watched him while uh, while she was teaching classes. Mm -hmm. So she's done that. And at one point, about ten years ago, her program here when we moved here, she started it again. She was teaching over four hundred students a week with she and three different teachers. Yeah, she was running a business. She was the eighth largest kinder music uh, studio in the world. That's spectacular. Yeah, yeah. It's still going. No, she's retired. Um, yeah. She downsized a little bit and sold off parts of her business to some of her teachers. And uh, she finished her last class in our basement uh, last month. No kidding. She had a couple kids. Kinder music starts from essentially birth, usually six months, to about seven years. You can go through, if you go through the whole step. And she had a, a couple families that were just on their last last two years. So mm. she last two years she taught out of the, and she just, she had four classes one week, and then she, one year, and the next year she had two. Mm -hmm. And then you know, just kind of petered out, but and intentionally, that's the way she did yeah, it. Right. And she wanted to stick with those kids and those families that she had known since nice. they were little kids. That's nice. What's her instrument? Piano. 
She was my pianist in college. Uh, no kidding. So yeah. you've collaborated on uh, recitals, I, I take it. Yeah, yeah. It's a small world. Um, I grew up in Long Island, uh, and in ninth grade, I moved from East Meadow, New York, farther out east. My parents wanted to move out there. It was closer where my dad worked. And we moved out to Miller, a place called Miller Place, but we went to Port Jefferson High School. We, mm -hmm. We'd bust in. The girl I took in East Meadow, who was in the band to the ninth grade prom, <laughs> we get to Fredonia, which is almost 500 miles away. Mm -hmm. um, I see her, we're online to get IDs or something in the student union. So I go home and say hi. And, uh, and her roommate was now my wife. How about that? Yeah, so her roommate was a music major. She wasn't, <laughs> Nancy wasn't, but my, Kathy was. So, uh, And I immediately, I realized then, you need to find, I remember at orientation saying, you know, you need to find an accompanist pretty soon, you know. So I said, what do you, you play? Check off two boxes right there, right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. I said, you know, would you be, be a big company me? And she said, yeah, okay. Because they needed, that was their ensemble. They had oh, to have a certain right. amount of a company, right. com people to accompany to <laughs> satisfy their ensemble requirements. So mm -hmm. she said, sure. And uh, I was pretty bad the first year. She didn't, she didn't, she was going to drop me after the first year. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she loves to tell this story, but at the end of the year, uh, we were both dating people from high school. Mm -hmm. So I had a girl from my, girlfriend from high school, she had a boyfriend. Um, and for the end of the year, I left her a little note and a box of candy on her door, I think, and just said, like, happy retirement until next year. Yeah. And so she thought, well, he, he doesn't take up any time. We just have, his, 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 his lessons are pretty boring. I, his music's really easy. So, uh, so then, uh, well, uh, so I guess I'll keep him for another year. Yeah. And then the next year, we had a new teacher who got, my teacher was finishing his doctorate at Michigan. Uh -huh. And uh, we had a guy come in, and uh, I started the Hindemith Sonata. I was just going to ask, did you ever ask her to, uh, to play him? Well, that was, that, was, that was the next thing yeah. she had to play for me. <laughs> After thinking, oh, this will be pretty easy. Right. Yeah, right. He's, he's not very good. Oh. So, yeah, and all of a sudden she got that, and she remembered looking at this thing. And she, after a while she was working on it, she said, oh, my gosh, this is the piece that got passed around last year, and none of the pianists would touch it. <laughs> I had a discussion with and an she, accompanist she, at, at UND about this last year, mm -hmm. and... Uh, Somebody programmed, uh, well, there's a sonata for every instrument, I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, doesn't matter. I, oh, it was a horn. It was horn. And uh, she said, please don't ever have anybody in your studio do Hindemith. And I said, well, look, it's kind of an important piece. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably going to see it at some point. Mm -hmm. but, but anyways. Yeah. Um, so she's played it, I take it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, so David Hickman, were you trying to follow, you know, of course he married... An accompanist, you you know. Well, Marianne his first wife was was a trumpet player. One of his students, oh, Jane. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. <clears throat> Do I have to edit that out? Is that going to be? A... I well, if Hickman's <laughs> listening, <laughs> I think you'll be okay. I'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, there's a lot of things I don't. Am I supposed? I'm not supposed to know everything. I think right. coming into right now, Miriam's a, Miriam's a sweetheart. He got he got lucky. Dave, you got lucky. Yeah. Um, so I wonder what he's going to do in retirement. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. Directly. But well, uh, he's he's you know he's, he'll probably start another business. Hmm. He started some at Brass. He started yeah. some at Records. Yeah. Hickory Music Editions. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. He's got to keep busy. Mm -hmm. What about you? Retirement uh, anywhere in the near yeah, future? Yeah. Not that far away, I don't think. Um, not that you're going to give anything away on this right podcast. No, but uh, it's yeah, it's not that far away. I mean, we have. Both are, as it's interesting, we've talked, my wife and I have talked about this, you know, we've lived in different parts of the country, mm -hmm. never in the same city with our, with our parents. And so we just kind of thought that would probably happen to us. Mm -hmm. And both our boys are living here in town. One's married with two grandkids, yeah. and the other one just got engaged. Well, congratulations. And, uh, so two grandkids and maybe more on the way. And it's, yeah. so... Now, now we're thinking, yeah, we like, and because with the city's really grown on us, I think we'll just probably be here till we retire and just do trips and whatever from here. So, uh, how is it, Grandpa? You like being a grandpa? Love it. Yeah, love it. He's a hoot. We have Calvin. That's him in Calvin and Hobbes, my son's mm -hmm. favorite car cartoon strip when he <laughs> yeah, was a I kid. I love that too. And then yeah. Lena, who's was just born last week. Oh my gosh! Yeah, congratulations again. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's that's huge. Yep. Yep. And they're 20 minutes away from us. 18 even, minutes if you rush. Even better. Yep. Even better. Um, were your kids musicians at all? Um, yeah, both of them were. My my son, my older son, Chris. Um, when he would come to concerts with with mom, and the, we we had we did a lot of San, pops concerts in San Diego, mm-hmm. and the whole series. And that was when that was when Chris the, would come because it was outdoors, and he got grumpy. And they take him outside, and it'd be, it'd be fine. It was much easier. And so um, and he always liked the so- sound of the violin. Mm-hmm. So at about age. Th- maybe three or four, he started uh, Suzuki violin. Oh, very nice. And he played violin all through high school, played in the back of the first violin section in our orchestra. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was that was his thing. Yeah. And he, he went on to, to do a degree in computer science and uh, now is uh, doing programming and real good at that. Not, not playing much anymore, but still appreciates the mm-hmm. music. Alex, on the other hand, um, who's now 29... Um, got his degree in music ed in trumpet. No kidding. Yeah. Where? Uh, I went to Bowling Green. He was accepted here, but we thought it might be better if he studied with trumpet with somebody other than his old man. Yeah, you know, I kind of wonder, like uh, Aaron studying with uh, Ronnie, you know, I kind of right. wonder sometimes, is it going to be a yeah. good fit yeah. uh, with your kid there? But uh, well, sometimes it works really well. And Yeah, yeah I think we could have made it work. He was accepted here and everything, but uh, we sort of, without telling him, my wife and I talked about it and we tried to, there was a school, we thought the person he could study with at Bowling Green, um, he was he was leaning towards here and we said, you should go, we ought to drive up and you know, take a lesson, meet, meet this guy a little mm-hmm. bit, and then that, that did it. And who was up there? Uh, Charles Sines, he's still up there. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that worked out really well for him and it was, you know, it's three hours away and that was, that was good, mm-hmm. so we'd see him, you know, three or four times a year. Wasn't uh, thinking about this at all until you mentioned Suzuki. I have a nine-year-old boy who's in uh, second year of Suzuki mm-hmm. violin. Um, I'll preserve my comments on Suzuki, which are all positive, by the way. But what's what's your take on the Suzuki method? <clears throat> Do you think it could ever be applied to to trumpet? Well, it's tried. There actually, if you look in bargain bins, sometimes you'll see Suzuki trumpet books. So there, there were they actually published books for a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, the whole the whole approach is. I mean, the whole approach. I understand how it works, and you know, as long as at some point in Suzuki you wind up switching over to actually reading notes and mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And if you make if you transition that way, then uh, it's great. I mean, mm-hmm. these kids play some great stuff at a young age. They sound great. Well, I've also noticed they're fearless because they're performing from the very first time they pick right. up the bow or the or the violin. Right. And my wife uh, was a Suzuki student, and I mean, it's like there are no nerves involved with anything. I'm right. Thinking, what what a great feeling that must be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've I've uh, a lot of appreciation for the Suzuki yep. method. And uh, we had a six-year-old play in our church yesterday. Ella, who's my, Kathy, taught her through all all her kinder music stuff, mm-hmm. and. Uh, she played with her, one piece by herself and, and with her piano, with her, her teacher playing piano, mm-hmm. and then they, and they did a duet together. Oh, very Yeah, it was beautiful. Nice. That was a, a lot of fun. So what about you? Did you start on piano or right at trumpet? No, I started right at trumpet. I was going to be a cello. I thought I was going to play cello when mm-hmm. I was in third grade because our orchestra came, the school orchestra came in and did a little assembly, you know, mm-hmm. for, the, for the school. And I thought, I love the sound of the cello. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I told my parents over the summer. My dad had played trumpet in, you know, through junior high and high school. And actually, back then when he was in college in the 50s, it wasn't uncommon for big bands to come through town and they'd carry like a skeleton crew. They'd have sure. a lead trumpet player and a, you know, a couple saxes and a, and a rhythm section. They'd fill out in town. Mm-hmm. So in Pencil- Reading, Pennsylvania, where he was going to school, he'd, he'd do that once in a while and make some money on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And so he was, he was into it that enough, but not enough to go into a career. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, well, you know, why don't you try trumpet for a year? I can help you with that because I used to play trumpet. And, uh, and then we can, uh, you know, if you don't like that, we can switch to cello the next year. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And that was all, that was all <laughs> I needed. But you said third grade? Fourth, uh, well, I, was, it was, it, I was in third grade. At the end of the third grade year, we started in fourth grade. East Coast, that's not uncommon uh, for school to start in the fourth grade. Wow. Yeah. And how did it go? Were you 
pretty good. Did you have a good uh, band director, music educator? Yeah, actually, actually, it was in, it was in my elementary school. It was in the bomb out shelter basement. That's where it was. The bomb out shelter. That's where the band was. <laughs> and I had lessons with a guy who was a trombonist, a group lessons, who turned out wound up playing for a while with the San Francisco Symphony. No kidding. And my first band director was a name you might recognize, John O'Reilly. Uh, I. I'm ashamed to say I don't know. Alfred name. Music. He he was one of the composers. One of the one of the guys. He's one of the founders of Alfred Music. So wow. He's uh, very well to do. Mm -hmm. Alfred Music started on the East Coast. Bunch of band directors putting stuff together, and then when they went to California, he went with them. But yeah, he was um, yeah he's written a lot of music for for public school. Wow. Yeah. I actually wrote a trumpet concerto too. He went to Potsdam. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. Um, so good experiences. You had some good yeah, people uh, yeah. in front of you. I was very fortunate. Good, good district for music. Mm -hmm. Uh, what kind of, uh, of course, did you ever hear your dad play? A little bit. He would play with me. He had had a, a false tooth, so he didn't play too much back mm -hmm. then. It wasn't, you know, they don't, they didn't have implants and things mm -hmm. like that back then. So what so about the influences? I mean, who did you, who did you start listening to or going to hear? Well, I didn't have much choice. My dad was really into big bands, so it wasn't it wasn't uncommon at eight thirty in the morning on a Saturday. This hot, the Magnafox stereo would be turned up as far as it could go with Maynard Ferguson playing Olay oh. or the Woody Herman band or his favorite, Stan Kenton. Yeah. So I grew up listening to wow. that. And probably through grad school, I still had more of a, my collection was way more skewed, skewed towards jazz and big band than mm -hmm. it was to classical. Mm -hmm. um, well, did you ever try to play along with those or... Uh... Yeah, I, I, I actually directed a jet, my, our, we called it a stage band back then, mm -hmm, sure. at our high school. When I was in ninth grade, we wound up moving uh, farther out east, and then it was a much smaller school district, and I was really bummed out because I was so much into music. I didn't, mm -hmm. And this was sort of like a little, felt like a backwater place <laughs> to me, mm -hmm. um, and it was in some respects. But it also gave me some opportunity. The high school band director didn't have time to do a, jet, a stage band at the school, but there was music. Mm -hmm. And I, and he said, "I'll buy you some music if you if you want to organize something." So we did, and we play on the concerts, and we we came we sort of took over the job as pep band at the basketball oh, games. Fun. <laughs> so uh, and you know, I, I one guy ran it for one year, and then I ran it for the next two years. Mm -hmm. So I got my experience, That's kind of cutting my teeth doing that. Is that you think uh, probably what led you to want to be a band director? Um, well, yeah, that and um, being afraid. Um, I, 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 I had enough sense in the high school to realize it'd be really hard to get a job in an orchestra. Or, or oh, I never even thought awesome. about concert bands, you know, like the service bands or anything mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. I just said, this is this is really difficult. I'll probably never be good enough to do this. So I'm, I'm going to be a band director, and which is not the right mind necessarily <laughs> the right mindset. But I mean, I love music, and that's the right mindset. And I just I was I guess being practical. Sure. And so my degree in in for music ed and, and music ed, uh, Fredonia and Potsdam were the two schools designated within the state system in New York that uh, uh, were music the music ed schools. They they were the only I think they were only degrees the the only two schools in the state system that had music ed degrees. Other places have music departments, but they had a music ed degree there. And so I I did that. My 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 high school trumpet teacher had gone to Fredonia, and so that was. Uh, Big reason why I went there, mm -hmm. and I did okay. I wasn't very good to start, and I really I practiced a lot. I, I, what kind I, of direction did you have? Uh, uh, did you have a private teacher, somebody oh, working with you? On, oh yeah, I, I had private teachers in junior high and high school, mm -hmm. and then and then of course. Well, the trombone yeah. player you had mentioned, of course. Oh, that was that was elementary school. Yeah, oh, but okay. in seventh grade, actually, the the. Ken Seppi was my trumpet teacher. He's on East Coast. He actually does a lot of jazz and lead playing in, mm -hmm. in the city. Um, he was my teacher mm -hmm. for undergrad, uh, for, uh, for junior junior high school. So you were getting your dad playing the big band stuff on Saturday mornings. Yeah. You were getting a, a good fundamental education sure. with private lessons. Yep. Um, 
when did you know, did you ever fall in love with orchestra? When, what was that? Was there a recording or a trumpet player that? Probably at Michigan. Um, the orchestra at Fredonia wasn't as good as the band. Mm -hmm. So I only played one year in the orchestra, and my senior year, my, my teacher was like, well, orchestra auditions are tomorrow. You'll be taking that, right? I says, no. I says, no, you should do it. He said, well, I'm going to be student teaching in January. It would only be one semester. Mm -hmm. Of course, that year they, they had a televised thing, and they, they did the Messiah on TV. I could have mm -hmm. been doing that. But <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> well, I would have had to get the position, but... yeah. So, uh, yeah, but the orchestra there was, was okay, not, not great. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but going to, to Michigan, um, that, was a, that was an eye-opening experience. Mm -hmm. Two full orchestras there, and they played great, mm -hmm. great music. And, mm -hmm. and I was fortunate enough, that was really interesting, I was fortunate enough to, to get a spot in the top orchestra there when I auditioned at grad school. And then I was humbled by also auditioning for the band and getting third cornet in the band. <laughs> and it wasn't even the top band. Uh oh. And I was sitting next to the only guy in the band who was not a music major. So how'd that how'd that semester go or that year? Oh that semester went great. Um, I was that was that just kind of I knew what I knew exactly what happened mm -hmm. after the fact. Um, the school of music building was shut down the week before school started. Mm -hmm. So I was in my I was in my my apartment practicing hard all week on a whisper mute. Oh. And I couldn't play anything soft. I mean, it all spread. It's my first experience working on a whisper mute. Sure. Um, so the orchestra thing went okay. It was mostly loud stuff, and then there was some finesse stuff there. I just, just terrible. Mm -hmm. And so, but as soon as I was, as soon as there was a spot to play extra with the wind ensemble, they needed some offstage trumpets. Mm -hmm. The guy, and the same guy conducted both. Um, I played that and nailed it every time. And so I solo cornet the next semester in the band, so. Did you think, I'm gonna take the orchestra route? And well, did you audition for any major orchestras? That year I took one audition, like for the Flint Symphony, didn't do anything. It's just a little up the road from there. Um, but the next year, when I was teaching in Connecticut, it was all, Masters there was just one year at the, at the time. Um, I sent my resume around to different orchestras saying, hey, if you need a sub, let me know. And the Bridgeport Symphony called and said, uh, we need somebody to play the first concert. I said, okay, what, what part? Principal? I went, mm. <laughs> okay. I basically had two years of orchestra experience playing second. And very... Did you even have a C trumpet? I did. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, okay. I had a C trumpet. I even had a DE flat. Mm -hmm. um, but no pick yet. And I said, okay, sure, uh, send me the music. <laughs> and the first concert was the Guinness Era Estancia Dances. Oh. <laughs> Luckily, I had an E-flat, although I don't know if I used it then. I can't remember. Uh -huh. I think it did. Uh -huh. um, but, I mean, that, that was an orchestra that played. Bridgeport played six or seven subscriptions a year in a couple operas. Mm -hmm. um, and it turned out the conductor of that orchestra was the, the guy I played orchestra for the year before in Ann Arbor. Yeah, this is where the small world rule That's, comes in. Don't piss anybody off. Yeah. Um, don't burn be, any bridges. Right, yeah. because it's a really small world. And I don't think, I never asked him, I don't think he, I don't think he okayed me as a sub for the concert. I think the, the, the personnel manager said, oh, we need somebody with the school at Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll try this guy. Mm -hmm. um, but after the first concert, I guess I did okay. This guy says, you want to play the rest of the season? I said, you bet. <laughs> and Petrushka came up that year. Oh, no kidding. Uh, I played there two years. And in two years, six concerts a year, I played Mahler three, uh, Petrushka, uh, oh man, Pines of Rome, Chike four, all sorts of big stuff in two years. In a, in a regional orchestra. Yeah, yeah. yeah it paid. Hey, it was yeah. a, I was a pro, man. <laughs> it paid. Yeah, and did it go well? Yeah, yeah. I never got fired, mm -hmm. so it went it went fine. And uh, you know, like a lot, that was close enough. Bridgeport was not far from uh, Yale, so there was a lot of Yale and a lot of Juilliard students playing in the orchestra. So a good group. Yeah, it was a very good group. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, of course, you mentioned San Diego, right? And who was uh, were you were your principal out there? Yes and no. 
Um, I went I went out there when the I was in Arizona State at the time. We drove across the desert. Four of us got no car, and I won the assistant principal job. And when the summer started, they didn't have a principal in place, and so I played principal all summer. Played third the the next year. So it might have been third assistant, but assistant basically go wherever they tell you to go. Sure. And they had guy Eddie Carroll who was in uh, playing. He flew in and played most of the year, but but I, whenever they didn't, whenever he wasn't playing, I was like step up and play principal. Did mm -hmm. the Messiah, did bunches of things like that, and then the and you had a piccolo summer. by that point. I did. Well, I I was you know the guy was like, uh, they were they were thinking about getting somebody else for because I was new about mm -hmm. the Messiah and I was proactive and I talked to him at the music director said I'd like to be considered to play this and it was be with the assistant conductor was conducting it I said no, I'll be happy to play for the, for the assistant conductor and I did and I played and I played some stuff for him and I got done with the piccolo and I said I have it on D trumpet if you like <laughs> I'm trumpet shell sound. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, that'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So I played that. So, mm -hmm. And then the next year, um, end of the year, they had auditions for Principal Trumpet again. And they tried to the music director tried to cancel it because uh, he had somebody in mind for the uh, job, and they were not available for the audition. Mm -hmm. So they had the audition, and back then, the audition was entirely behind a screen, mm -hmm. um, right till the end. And I'm not sure the, the details contractually, but... The music director had a certain amount of votes, and everybody else had votes, but it was a unanimous vote except for the music director. And I got the job. And I remember talking to the principal horn. We had lunch afterwards, and he says, I hope you get a chance to to win this job. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I didn't I was so young. I had no idea. What do you mean? I just won the job. Right. All full of myself. Right. And midway through the season, I got a pink slip. And uh, I got basically... And that was, and I got a pink slip, and three other members of the orchestra were all, all demoted. Wow. Uh, the, the, the one on the committee, the principal trombone got demoted to second. The second trumpet got demoted to third. No, the third trumpet, right? And so that was basically the the conductor was saying, "Don't mess with me." Wow. And so basically, what happened was I got reseated to my old position, um, but there was I had to get a variant. We had to get a variance of the contract. Because there was nothing, there was no mechanism in the contract to say to reseat somebody who didn't have tenure yet. Mm -hmm. it would have been more difficult if I had had tenure already mm -hmm. to to do that. But uh, yeah, so that was my shot at principal that year. I had a great time or that half year. Yeah, and then uh, and then the orchestra went dark a year or two later. Well, they've been backed issues. up and running for for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, they went dark. They've gone dark twice. Once when I was there, and then uh, and then in 91, 92, the kind of the tech the tech boom bust mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. they were dark for two, over two years. That's when they really lost their real core of players. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but I was already here by then. Mm -hmm. I could see that writing on the wall. Yeah. Um, so you were looking for jobs. Yep. Uh, Especially after that. Any any other considerations besides Cincinnati? Did you apply? Oh yeah, I looked at a couple other positions and you know looked at and turned down, or mm -hmm. or they turned me. You know, they looked elsewhere. So when you first started here, was it the typical applied and master class? So what, what were you teaching when you first got here? Just trumpet. Just I'm trumpet. all trumpet related. I mean, I, I coach. We've all, I've always coached chamber music, and uh, I do a rep and ped class for the grad students, mm -hmm. and uh, we have studio class, and the, but it's all. Trumpet related, and all the all the uh, teaching studios are that way. All the people teaching instruments. No, and still no additional duties necessarily for. No, I, that's plenty. There's lots lot. to do. I was there. Gonna, well, how yeah. big's your studio? It runs between twenty, oh. twenty to twenty-five. Oh my but, gosh! But yeah, Phil that's Con enough. <laughs> but Phil Collins teaches with me. Uh, the the principal talking about co-teaching. Yeah. Well, what studio, we well, what we do, we work. We we had other people teach before. Marie Marie mm -hmm. when she was playing in the orchestra was teaching a mm -hmm. few students here, um, but when she left for Rice, um, I asked Phil to come teach with us. He was still te playing in the orchestra, and, mm -hmm. but he retired a couple years after that. Um, how how about that tribute to Marie at ITG last that's year? Great. I I barely know her, but yeah. I was in that session and just grinning yeah. the whole time. And yeah. boy, what great tribute from students and. Yep. Uh, 
boy, what a treat to, to get to work and teach with mm -hmm. her. It must have been wonderful, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Um, how's Phil doing? Good, good. Um, yeah, he's, he doesn't, he plays, when he plays in lessons, and I guess uh, the kids say he sounds great when he's playing in lessons. Mm -hmm. He, uh, I don't know, he, he wound up retiring with a, a, when he retired from the orchestra. I don't know that he, he I think part of, part of it was a disability income, uh, disability retirement, and mm -hmm. I'm not sure that he could have uh, been, been able to play without screw, screwing mm -hmm. up that, that whole thing. Um, but no, he's pretty. He's done. He's done playing. But he well, he does play enough in the orchestra. It's sort of like when Tony Plogue retired from playing, um, but he still he still practices enough that he can play with the students. You know, I, I interviewed Tony, and uh, it was, I told him I was, I was like interviewing my grandpa. It was, you know, just one of the nicest guys to have a conversation with. Um, but to hear where he had played and what he had done, it's like it's just. And yet he's put the trumpet away. Right. You know, he told me I haven't really played since 2000. I'm thinking that how could you do that? But he's got other things. Obviously, he's. he's the, last, the last time he played was here in Cincinnati. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, well, for a couple of years we hosted the Rafael Mendez Brass Institute, mm -hmm. and Summit was here, and uh, I played on that last concert with him. Mm -hmm. In fact, I took his spot. In the octet, they did the, they did the oct uh, Pogue's octet, mm -hmm. and I took his spot in that. My second trumpet was, uh, uh, oh God, um, <laughs> brain cramp, Tim Morrison. Oh, he's no uh, slouch. Yeah, no, he's no slouch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah, that was, yeah, and he and he conducted. Tony mm -hmm. conducted it. So, oh, how much but, fun that would yeah, have been! But that was the last concert. That was the last time he played yeah. in public. He sounded great, of course. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember recordings of, of Cincinnati and hearing Phil on there. And uh, that's great, but I also have enjoyed the books that he's you mm -hmm. know, put together. Uh, yeah. It's been a nice addition to, uh, to my library, as I'm right. sure others yeah. as well. Um, well, thinking about publications, have you, uh, have you put anything out there? Have you done uh, progressive uh, lip flexibilities <laughs> or anything? Uh, I leave that to guys like Tim, uh, guys like uh, Scott. Scott can do that. Um, no, I haven't. Um, I've done editing of some music and things, yeah. and uh, and a couple, C you know, some CDs and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. So I got three CDs out. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I just, you know, the thing, the thing when I got here, I didn't realize I'd be doing was um, the Dayton Philharmonic. I've yeah. I've been playing second trumpet in the Dayton Philharmonic mm -hmm. since almost the first year I got here. No kidding. Um, and that, that I had no idea. I, I met the guys in the quintet, basically the core of the brass, when uh, they were at Summit Brass. Mm -hmm. They were doing, very early on, Summit Brass used to do a, uh, a chamber music competition. And so these guys were runner-up for, they wound up be, they were runner-up to the uh, American Trombone Quartet. Mm. Um, and uh, and this I met Charlie and the guys in the group. And uh, so when I got here, I got a phone call. Hey, Charlie. And Charlie's calling Principal Trumpet, Charlie Pernard, and he's a great guy, great player. And he says, uh, can you come up and play a concert for us? I heard you're in town. I said, sure. So I went up and did it with Vaughn Williams Symphony or something. It was a subscription thing. He was, he was actually subbing with Cincinnati that week, so I was covering for him. Um, and there was a new guy in there, Steve Anderson, who was the second trumpet player. He had just won the job. Mm -hmm. And um, midway through that year, uh, maybe like, in February or March, he winds up winning a spot in the Detroit Symphony, oh. and they said, "We can come. You can come up and play whenever when we could. We could use any time, so mm -hmm. we could start right away." So, mm -hmm. the pay was way better. Yeah, and he's gone. He's been there ever since. Yeah. Um, so when that happened, I basically stepped in and played second, and haven't really stopped. The audition was in a, another year or so away, mm -hmm. but so if I'd known, because that's about 150. Services. Oh, much busier than I. Than yeah, I and good. another, f at that point, maybe 40 to 50 quintet educational services. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, look, I'll take, you know, thanks for the job. I'm not going to be able to do everything. I'm going to be able to do, the, I'll try and do the subscriptions and the pops things. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the stuff, you know, I'll try and do if I can. But I got mm -hmm. kids growing up and all right. that stuff, trying to balance that as much as I could. And so that's what we did. And I was, contractually, you're allowed to do that. 
Um, you, you could miss a certain amount if it was like, pri I could say if it's primary employer, sure. I could miss it. Um, so yeah, so, but that's, uh, that's like an hour and a half in the car each way mm -hmm. or more. And like. that's still going, both the oh, yeah. orchestra and the quintet. Still doing that, I've been doing that yeah. the whole time. Yeah, that's um, become quite a nice thing. It's a bunch of nice guys. I mean, the orchestra plays really well. Mm -hmm. We, 15 years ago, we got a beautiful hall Better than any hall in this state. No kidding. Maybe Severance Hall might be the exception. Mm. And as much as they've improved the hall downtown, which they have, it's we're still in a better hall. Mm. It's, it's, I don't know how that happened in Dayton, but it did. Mm -hmm. Just it worked out, mm -hmm. and uh, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I love all the guys in the brass section. I mean, it's just a very good orchestra, collegial, and mm -hmm. everybody's doing something else. So, I mean. It pays enough that you can do that and teach lessons and, and do freelancing, and you can you can do that. Mm -hmm. um, and Dayton's a, not a very expensive city to live in, so mm -hmm. it's uh, mm -hmm. it's worked out really well. And uh, the guy playing principal trumpet back then is still playing principal trumpet. He sounds better never because he retired from his college job. Yeah, and now he has time to practice even more. <laughs> so, so the pressure's on. I got to yeah. keep my act together. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. So let's talk about that. What. Uh, What's a typical day for you, playing-wise? Uh, well, a typical day for me, playing-wise, is that it's not very typical. It just changes a lot. Um, I would say I do a lot of practicing at night, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, I usually try and get some warm-up in, in the morning, and then the rest of the day can be, depends on what my day is. I mean, my day could be teach lessons here, go home. Then I get a nice long practice in. But oftentimes my day could be teach lessons here, get in the car, drive a couple hours up to Dayton, get some dinner on the way, and then come home and maybe practice at night. But by then, not, maybe not. Depends. It's just really hit and miss. So I kind of have to plan pretty carefully on stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so and sometimes I'll just drive up to the hall and I'll practice early. Mm -hmm. I'll get up there and practice. Mm -hmm. um, you play a lot in lessons? Depends. Less for the gr older students, mm -hmm. but more for the younger students that need to hear, mm -hmm. you know, what a, what a good basic sound is and ease of playing and, and do that kind of thing. So it's that kind of thing, it's back and forth. Not as much as say like a like a Bill Adam would do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like fifty fifty. Right. Oftentimes, um, and, and like, but for the older kids, not not as much. You know, kids getting for recitals, ready for recitals now. Sure. Very little. So, do you have a particular school of thought when it comes to pedagogy? Well, when I was at, when I first got to Cincinnati, there was this grant you could apply for. And about three or four years into being at school, the dean made this grant available. And it was, I don't know, like four or $5,000, which seemed like a lot of money, mm -hmm. um, to do a project. And my project, which I applied for and I got, was to observe master teachers teaching. And so I got, a, I got a chance to spend a day or two with Bill Adam teaching. Nice. Chickowitz. Nice. It was his last year before he retired. Mm -hmm. And then, then also uh, Arnold Jacobs while I was there. Mm -hmm. And then it also helped me get to uh, the co trumpet conference in Sweden, in Gothenburg, so I could watch you know, all those guys. Philip and uh, uh, Philip Jones mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. kind of not that long, not, 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 not soon after that he passed away. Um, so I got a chance to do that. So I, I've tried to be, a, and I try to be a, a student of pe people's routines and what their how their basic teaching is. Mm -hmm. When I moved out to San Diego in 1983, um, I'm hearing these guys in the brass section. Da 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 da. Right. Okay, I'm hearing this and I'm, you know, I'm doing my thing. This is the first brass section. Uh, first. So first summer, I'm just trying to come in prepared and ready to go all the time. I didn't ask any questions really too much. But in the fall, we, after our, we had a little couple weeks off and then we had a fall, we started opera. Um, and uh, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing the print, second trumpet, principal horn, principal trombone, all up the hallway, playing in unison. Oh, and the tuba player, too. Mm -hmm. I, said, I said, what are you guys playing up there? He says, oh, that's stamp. I said, what's a stamp? They just thought it was hilarious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and they explained, Jimmy, oh, Jimmy Stamp, man. Who's he? And they're like, 
<laughs> well, those guys, most of that brass section had had worked in L.A. Mm -hmm. as freelancing. They came out, you know, like Mark came out from the from the East Coast, and he was in L.A. and just freelancing, trying to get and taking lessons. And uh, so they had a wall one point, like everybody else, so many of the brass players should study with Jimmy Stamp. And so they had all done that, and they were just warming up together. And so, and that was before, I think this book was published, but it wasn't really very widely available. Nobody knew about it. Mm -hmm. And so I would just sort of anecdotally hear from these guys. And, and his stamp, unfortunately, died that year. Oh. So I couldn't go up and grab a lesson with, his, right. with him. But, um, but when the book came out, I, was, yeah, I found people to, to work with on that. And that's, that's probably the cornerstone of what I use. But... Uh, there's certain kids I'll go and they seem to gravitate a little more towards Adam's things mm -hmm. and Chickowitz is a big part of our studio. Sure. Maybe not the opening routine so much, but they all know it and it's in my packet that I give to kids. But certainly his uh, Flow Studies books, those mm -hmm. etudes. Well, and Michael put together a couple of books. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got you. I got you. So the first book is called Long Tones, yep. which is really his routine stuff. Right. But then... Book two is flow is the first flow study, and the and second one is Russian studies, those Russian ones, which yeah. is terrific. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, and you know, of course, I pointed out to my students. I said, "Look at the the composers on all these etudes." I mean, this is not Chicklet. I mean, he just he picked great right. vocalises and you know borrowed from uh, Blazovich and Bordoni and all these others. Uh, well, um, when I went to study with Chicklet, it was still go down to the print shop there and give the guy five bucks, and he'll give you this. Look, that's what that's what that's what I did when I had my lesson with with him and watched him teach, and then also he says, "Well, you know, what about this?" You know, and then he showed me this Russian book that he liked that he used, and I said, "Can I get a copy of that?" And he get got me a copy, and a couple of years later, here in Cincinnati, I had uh, I had a student who's Russian, and I said, "Can you read these?" Because all if you, the, the the original titles are all in Cyrillic, because huh? it's published it's all published in Russian. And uh, and he said, oh, this is this, this is uh, Concon, this is Arbin. Mm -hmm. And I said, really? I said, take this book home, and when you get a chance, just just write, write print out the names. Well, of course, they're all printed out correctly yeah. in, in that book, yeah. but I, that's, that was years ago. Yeah. Going back to Stamp, uh, you know, Ronnie is a direct student of Stamp. Right. And I've actually got him coming to my uh, conference uh, later this year mm -hmm. because, you know, if you look at the book, you don't know how to stamp. I guess never intended it to be used that way. It's more of a collection of exercises, right? But mm -hmm. Ronnie's going to come and say, "Look, here's here's the right way to to approach this." Mm -hmm. So, boy, and I love that. You know, I can't get stamp, but I can get the right. next best thing. And of course, right. and if the next best thing also happens to be Ronnie Rom, <laughs> well, I think I think better. those guys, Tom Stevens being among them, uh, got that thing published with the idea of. To, to develop some money for some money for James Stamp, and mm -hmm. just to kind of get his name out, and it really worked with Bim. Mm -hmm. Well, interesting, you know, thinking about it uh, from my standpoint, I think that one person can have their legacy as a as a routine. You know, Bill mm -hmm. Adam has the you know, the, I mean, of course, it could right. be three hours if you wanted it to be three right. hour routine. But, right. Uh, was there anyone in particular that you uh, have an an affinity for? Any routine? Uh, of those routines? Probably yeah. Stamp. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that you've got the recordings you can play along with now, mm -hmm. um, which are nice. And you, they, were, they, were, they used to put a CD in the back. Now it's a free download off mm -hmm. just to go to the BIM website. Um, it, just, it just covers so many things. And there's a lot of other things in there that I've... I always kind of always... The first five exercises were kind of what I would do. And then... Uh, but now I get into like staccato control and some of the breathing, the quick breath exercises. There's just... Mm -hmm. It's just good stuff there. You gotta. You, you can't just play that. Right. Like you can't just play Adam, and Adam would be the first one to tell you. Right. Um, you know, or like um, Claude Gordon, West Coast, <laughs> um, the systematic approach. If you read in the the first part of his book, there's like about nine other books you should be working out of. He says. Mm. And our second trumpet player in San Diego was taking lessons with him for a while. And he said, "Man, I had come out with a stack of books like this." <laughs> you know, when I when I got to my first lesson. Yeah. Well, I was just telling uh, Scott Belk in the previous interview, first time I opened the Claude Gordon systematic approach, but you know, overwhelmed with uh, pedal tones. Right. And then when it says rest one hour, 
It's like who's got time to rest an hour before right. you go to the next right. next exercise? But yeah, and uh, then you get all the high note stuff come well. comes pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what about your your jazz chops? I mean, you, you are you able to to feed those at all? Ah, uh, well. Not so much as an improviser. I mean, I you know I, I don't I don't have time to be doing any any big band stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun when I get a chance to do it, but uh, like and but it really helps. It helps my knowledge of it helps me so much when we do pops concerts and things. Mm-hmm. We did a concert a couple weeks ago with uh, um, Byron Stripling. We did a Louis Armstrong thing. Played that show with him in Indianapolis. Yeah. Right. And uh, forget the young lady that does the. Uh, was she there with is mm, Ella Fitzgerald? No, we didn't. Maybe maybe it was a different show. Yeah. Uh, but good heavens, does he connect with the audience? Yes, yes. It's just what a showman. Yeah, yeah. And of course, he plays so great. But yep. I, I was remarking. I talked to him after the show, and you know his ability just to walk out and immediately connect. It's like wow, not everybody can do that. Yeah, that well. No, he's very gifted. Yeah. But but I use you know every every. Probably every month, every other month, there's something in a pop's vein, or you know, we're playing in our quintet. We're doing, you know, some, you know, we're doing some some ragtime and or you know, like early early jazz and things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm using it all the time, and I, you know, I'm very very encourage trying to encourage the students here to get some experience playing some jazz in the big bands. Although Scott keeps getting more and more students. It used to be they used three or four of my guys, but no. This guy sucks. Like, mm-hmm. well, I got room for one. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But you have to. I mean, to to be a working trumpet player yeah. these days, you have oh, to yeah. be able to play all those styles. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was grateful to uh, grow up in a house where we had Neil Diamond, the Eagles. I mean, we had Boston Pops, and mm-hmm. I mean, we my dad, and Marty Robbins, Hank Williams. You know. Yeah. I mean, such a wide variety is what I'm getting to, right. you know. And it's like when you play pop shows these days, and those styles come up, mm-hmm. you know, man, I'm glad I was able to listen to grow up yep. listening to that and playing some of that. So, well, I would probably, like I said, my jazz collection was larger than my classical collection for for many many years. If if you look at just the LPs, mm-hmm. mostly jazz and you know jazz rock and Chicago and Blood Sweat and Tears and and stuff like that. When I was at Fredonia, I directed the student the jazz bands there were student run. Um, and I did I did the second band there for a couple of, for for one year, mm-hmm. so just to get experience. Who do you like listening to these days? Trumpet wise? Yeah. Oh man. Well, classical. Um, Hogan's always great. Mm-hmm. Sergey. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Sergey here a couple years ago. That was well more than a couple years ago now. That was great experience having him here. Um, love. Allison Balsam, Tina was here with the orchestra a couple of years ago. Oh my gosh, what a sound. Do you know um, Romain Leloup? No. He's going to be at the conference this year. Don't miss him. Okay. He took over, he just took over for Pierre Duteau at Lyon mm-hmm. Conservatory. Okay. But Romain Leloup, L-E-L-E-U. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. Nicest guy. Big guy. Plays with the the biggest downstream look, more than Nikaryakov. Oh. <laughs> uh, Nikaryakov's kind of kind of his issues with his back because right. he hurt his back. Right. Uh, but yeah, he plays way downstream and he just does not yeah. get tired. He can play everything, yeah. and he plays even some. Uh, you know, he'll he'll do some pop and pop stuff, and occasionally I've seen some videos and things. So uh, uh-huh. I've gotten onto his website, on his list somewhere. So I get stuff from him all the time. Can't read it; it's in French, but. <laughs> but he's the nicest guy. We caught him here doing some recitals, mm-hmm. and we basically got him inexpensively to come in and do a class kind of around what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So that was nice, and mm-hmm. he was happy to do it, and the kids really, really dug him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice having YouTube uh, and to be able to show your students all these players. And, of yeah. course, then, then the recordings, of course, of people from our generation and beyond, mm-hmm. you know, I was watching some Louis Armstrong uh, videos just the other day. You know, I think a tour through Europe. It was black and white, you mm-hmm. know, the fifties. But oh my gosh, you know, resources these days are great. Yeah. Well, that show we did with uh, with Byron, that was the Louis Armstrong show, mm-hmm. which is that sounds different than with with Ella. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, a little bit different. 
probably some of the old stuff like that though. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing everything with uh, me today. Welcome. Pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio HFL. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.